Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Do you feel like you can be yourself at work? It sounds like a simple question, but if we're being honest with ourselves, there's likely a lot that you don't tell your boss or your coworkers about yourself, whether it's an opinion or an unusual hobby or maybe a belief that you hold. Why don't we open up? Probably because we fear being judged, being misunderstood, or disliked. This is especially relevant for women, for young people, and for minorities who learn early on in their careers that being yourself at work can mean making yourself vulnerable to the consequences of stereotyping and racism and other forms of discrimination. Our next guest has thought a lot about this and even has a new book on the issue of likability in the workplace. Alicia Mendez is an MSNBC anchor, host of the Latina to Latina podcast, and the author of a new book called The Likability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. Alicia Mendez, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Okay, so this book seems pretty clearly influenced by a lot of your own personal experiences. But tell me what made you want to look further into that and turn it into a book. Mm -hmm. I am a person who cares very much about being well-liked. And so when I originally set out to write The Likeability Trap, I imagined myself sort of writing an eat, pray, love for likability, learning to be a person who cares a lot and learns to care a lot less. So I had visions of myself, you know, meditating and getting coaching. And as I started to talk to other women, there Mm -hmm. were, of course, a lot of other women who said, yes, I care so much what others think of me. I care too much what others think of me. This is the story of my life. But I also found a lot of women who said, oh, I don't give a damn. And I still feel as though I pay a price because there's an expectation that I should care. And that at work, it becomes particularly challenging because, you know, in your real life, if you have friends who don't like it, if you have uh, relationships where people don't like it, you can let that go. At work, likability becomes necessary in a lot of capacities. And so at that point, I shifted my attention away from this question of letting go and started to examine this question of what it would look like to really grapple with and reckon with likability once and for all. Hmm. So talk about your career and how you may have changed the way that you deal with this over your career. Talk about when you were a young person in journalism. Uh, what was different younger, about the a way? Younger person a younger person. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. We're the, all the young. The sensitivity <laughs> of a mid-30s person. Um, <laughs> You know, I think part of what is so interesting about being a person who, like you, is on air and has a public persona is that for people who have careers like yours and mine, we both see the inter-office stuff that happens in any office where Mm -hmm. you, you know, want people to like you because you were willing to do things like change the printer cartridge and the water filter and make coffee in the morning. Um, But we also have this sense of being a public person. And those are two really different things, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you interact with someone face-to-face all the time, um, they have a lot more data and information in which to form an opinion of you. But when you're a public 
person, you're never entirely sure how people are interacting with you. They may hear a snippet, they may see a tweet, they may see an Instagram post, and all of that creates a very small sense of who a person actually is. When I was coming up through the workforce, you know, I, I, I didn't start my career in media. I started my career in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. doing work on immigration, on youth voter engagement, on Latino voter engagement. And I very often found myself in the position that a lot of women find myself in, which is I would, when I'd get feedback, it was most often feedback that focused on my style so that I was either a little too assertive and needed to tone it down Mm -hmm. in order to not ruffle feathers, um, which, you know, makes it hard to ask for what you want and need, even in the service of the work that you're doing. And there were other times, confusingly, where I was told that I wasn't being strong enough, that I needed to be more demanding and more assertive in what I needed. And these tend to be the two different types of feedback that women get all of the time. And again, there are a lot of women like me who have very confusingly been given both sets of feedback, which shows you just how subjective and context-specific that feedback can be. Mm. So in your book, you identify three what you call likability traps, and I want to talk about each of them. So let's start with the very first one. You call this the Goldilocks conundrum. Explain what that means. Too warm, too cold, (laughs) never just right. Um, And it's a bit of what I was speaking to earlier, which is women tend to get feedback that goes in one of two directions either that they are too strong and then they are penalized for coming across as cold. So those women violate the expectation we have as a culture of women that will be warm and communal and do what's in everyone's best interest. Or they're told that they're too warm, that they're too friendly, too nice, that they don't do enough confrontation. And those women may be very well liked, but they're not seen as leaders. And so women are stuck in this impossible bind where they can either be what we societally expect of women or they can be what we societally expect of a leader, but there's virtually no way for them to do both. Hmm. Uh, The second trap is likability and authenticity, and uh, this is really at the crux of so many dysfunctional workplaces when likability (laughs) becomes sort of a cover for unconscious bias, right? That is, that is exactly correct. So, you know, that mark between strength and warmth is really hard to hit, period, for, for men, for women, particularly challenging for women. I found one woman who, she's at a tech company, she is ascendant in her career, she, by all accounts, is a unicorn, she's hitting the mark perfectly. And when I asked her how she's doing, she said, well, I'm exhausted because I'm constantly doing this well-curated performance of what I am told leadership is supposed to look like. And I said to her, well, who's your authentic self? And she said, or she gave me some answer that was clearly talking points answer. Mm -hmm. And then she caught herself where she said, those are talking points that I've used to pitch myself in meetings. Honestly, I don't know who my authentic self is. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me as being incredibly sad. Um, It becomes additionally complicated if you're also a member of another marginalized group. 
So in as much as there are expectations we have based on gender, there are also all of these expectations we have based on race and ethnicity. So a black woman who is assertive will often be read as aggressive and even angry. She pays an incredible penalty for that. Latinas like myself, one of two different stereotypes, either that we're meek and quiet, someone who may be very well liked but isn't seen as a leader or someone to be contended with, or this other expectation that we are just hot-blooded and irrational. And again, that's not leadership material either. Asian American women often penalized for the sense that they are unfairly competent, also an expectation that they be submissive. So when they start acting like anything other than a worker bee, there's a social penalty that they pay in the office. There's this huge mandate now, and I'm sure you've heard it. It comes from the tech world, but it started to infiltrate a lot of other businesses, which is this bring your whole self to work. Mm-hmm. And the the aspiration is wonderful, which is, hey, if you're having a hard time at home, of course that's going to show up in the office. Of course you're going to bring that to the office. Of course if you you know are a person who speaks Spanish at home, then you should be able to speak Spanish in the workplace. Whatever it is, be your fully integrated, authentic self at work. The challenge is that many, many workplaces, perhaps most, are not fully ready to meet the demands of everyone coming to work fully authentically as they are. Exactly. So there's a big schism there. Yeah. I mean, what we're really talking about here, I think, is just the kinds of differences that people who who face discrimination in society face everywhere, but but in the workplace. In other words, th- there are lots of places that as an African-American man, I know not to behave certain ways or to say mm-hmm. certain things. When I get cult- pulled over by the police, for instance, uh, I, mm-hmm. I may be a really different person in that interaction than I would be with my friends, you know, hanging out in, in, in the living room. But in, in the workplace, this takes on, I think, in, in, in importance that goes beyond some other context. In other words, right. that, thank the, you so much for, for bringing that up, because I do want to say, I mean, you're talking about corporal danger, right? right? You're talking about living in a world where you are not entirely, you are not made to feel safe all of the time. And so I want to be clear also that there were moments where I was like, really, Alicia, you're going to write about likability for two years. That's <laughs> going to be the thing. But part of what makes likability so complicated, unlike some of the dynamics that you were just pointing out, is it can be very subtle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the things that are the most subtle are the hardest to call out and that makes them the most pernicious, right? Because it's you're, you have these moments of saying, well, is this person right in their assessment that I'm too assertive and aggressive, perhaps angry, or are they seeing my actions filtered through the lens of gender, filtered through the lens of race, and is all of the feedback I'm getting predicated on that? And most of us are just left by ourselves to determine where that feedback is coming from and what we're supposed to do with it. And it makes it very hard to call out because we're not clear if we are the problem or if the person giving us the feedback is the problem. My guest is Alicia Menendez. She is an MSNBC anchor, host of the Latina to Latina podcast, and the author of a new book called The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. We're talking about the ways in which we kind of mask who we are at work. 
sometimes, not being exactly who we might be outside of work with our families or our friends, and why we do that, why we feel like we have to hide parts of who we are in the workplace. Of course, this takes on special significance when you're talking about women, when you're talking about ethnic minorities, uh, people who face other kinds of barriers in society and still face discriminatory barriers in the workplace. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us if you feel like you can be yourself at work. Do you feel like your appearance, your backstory, or your personality have been factors in being accepted or not being accepted by your coworkers or your bosses? And if you're a minority at your workplace, do you feel like you've ever been treated as a caricature or spokesperson for the group that you belong to? How does your identity shape your discussions, and your involvement in conversations at work. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Alicia, The before we get to the third trap, uh, this seems like a good time to bring up something that you've written about. Uh, Cardi B, uh, an entertainer who has managed to turn her authentic self into a real asset. And I have to say up front, I am actually a really big fan uh, of, mm-hmm. of Cardi B's uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is this very direct uh, and seemingly authentic personality that is that is peppered with her ethnicity, that is all leaning into the idea of her ethnicity and, and background. Um, talk about what we can all learn from someone like Cardi B and is her popularity by chance or do you think there's some universal lesson behind all of that? I read a while back a piece from an NPR editor named Sydney Madden, and she had done a profile on Cardi B and identified the velocity of Cardi's ascent as the Cardi effect. And I believe she calls it a branding power rooted in specific authenticity. And I just loved that so much. I thought mm. it was a great turn of phrase. But I did wonder, can the Cardi B effect apply to a person who is trying to build a career in a non-creative industry. Mm. That very often, you know, there is a cultural expectation of what is appropriate. So, like, I always think of the movie Working Girl, right, where um, Tess is this uh, secretary from Staten Island, and all of a sudden her boss goes out for a day, and it turns out she's totally able to do the work that her boss is doing, savvy enough to do it, but she does have to self-present in all of these different ways. She has to take her feather bangs and put them up in a in a bun. She has to tamp down her accent a little um, in order to be taken seriously and seen as a leader. Mm. And that, I think, is part of the complication for those of us who are not in the a member of the majority culture of our office, which is, you know, there are things on the margins that we might like to say or do that end up feeling risky. I mean, even just ways we might wear our hair or or talk. Um, and 
What I think is so complicated about that is that, one, when you've done it long enough, um, you start to forget that you're doing it. Mm. And then if you're even in a place where you get to just be fully authentically yourself, you have to start doing the work of undoing all of the scaffolding you've built up around your authentic self in order to fit in. And that it can really seem like a dangerous dare because there are people who have been able to do that and have been able to be successful in more traditional organizations, um, but they definitely feel like anomalies. And it feels for most of us like, well, I could go out there and I could, I could do that, but then I might face an incredible risk. And one of the things you alluded to earlier, which I really appreciate because it's a nuance that gets lost, is there's very often a sense of, how we are supposed to appear as a person of color. So, for example, um, I had one woman who was talking about, she's Latina, and she was in an office where everyone, someone was making a joke about eating guacamole and the fact that she must love guacamole because she's Latina. And she's like, I don't, I don't even understand this joke. Right. Like this Why doesn't, is that this funny, doesn't be funny right? to me. This seems like a caricature you have of someone who's Latina. And, and the person kept pushing it. They kept being like, it's spicy. You're a spicy Latina. And the person probably didn't mean harm, but it made her so uncomfortable and she found it so strange. And it's not quite the type of thing you feel like you can go to HR and talk about, but it's weird. And I heard this from a lot of LGBTQ individuals mm-hmm. who've heard sort of, you know, things that may sound really subtle, like, oh, you're gay, but you're not gay, gay. And not really knowing what to do with that. Or one woman I spoke with who was bisexual who had an office may be like, well, how bisexual are you? What does that mean? What does what, that what, mean? What, right? what, are you, what does that mean? So, so a lot of it is just, it, it, feels, it feels subtle and it makes it harder to know exactly how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, my guest is Alicia Menendez, MSNBC anchor, host of the Latina to Latina podcast, and the author of a new book called The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. We're talking about the ways in which we change ourselves or mask ourselves in the workplace to try to avoid negative feedback, whether that negative feedback is just people not liking us in the workplace or whether there can be negative consequences, negative job consequences that come from being yourself. That is particularly significant when you are talking about women and people of color who often are in the minority in their workplaces. Uh, Again, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us how you manage these things in the workplace. We especially want to hear from people who are women or people of color. Tell us how you navigate these kind of barriers to just being yourself in the workplace. Or call and tell us if you don't feel like you have to do that at all? Do you work someplace where you feel like you can be your authentic self and not worry about negative consequences? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Diana in Detroit. Diana, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, for having me. I have to tell you that this conversation resonates with me so much. I had to pull over and, and call in. Um, I was a new lawyer, but at 40 years old, I went to law school late. Um, I was in my law firm 
uh, came from an organization where my opinion and my intelligence was highly respected and uh, I could I felt like I could be my authentic self. But in the law firm, my first year evaluation, um, you know, they said probably one of the smartest first year lawyers we've ever had. You know, we really appreciate your input and everything, um, uh, you know. But you don't act like a first-year lawyer. And I took that to mean that, you know, perhaps I was too aggressive. Perhaps I spoke up too much. Perhaps I was too opinionated. Um, You know, yet the flip side is, you know, they, they wanted me to engage my brain, right? But I couldn't engage who I was. And I just feel like had I been a man... um, I would have been praised for, you know, being a go-getter and aggressive and, and things like that. So needless to say, I didn't stay very long in the firm. But, uh, <laughs> but, but this conversation is just, I mean, my heart is bursting with, with you know, rela- relating oh. to exactly what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah, Diana, okay. thanks well, very much for the call. Uh, Alicia, we've got about a couple minutes before break, but I want to get you to respond to what she's talking about there. First of all, Diana, thank you. My, my, I'm, I'm tearing up in part because I'm, I'm very postpartum. I had a baby two months ago, so mm. everything makes me cry right now. But also because this is exactly what it's about, Stephen. It's about the fact that women are paying a real price for this. We're paying a price when it comes to hiring. We're paying a price when it comes to wages. We're paying a price when it comes to promotion. And there are people like Diana who invested in a law degree, invested in getting into that firm, and then was told that something about the way she was was the problem. Hmm. I've spoken with too many women who've received the same type of feedback to believe that all of these individuals across the country, across sector, are in fact the problem. And it, we need to start being honest about the fact that likability, we, we've often treated it like a nice to have. In reality, in, at, at work, it's become a must have. And if you are not seen as a likable leader, you're paying a real price. And when I, I mean, Diana, she left her law firm, right? And not only did she do that, it's now time has passed. And she still feels powerfully enough about it that as she listens to us have this conversation, she feels the need to pull over and call in. That tells you something about how important this conversation around likability is. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Alicia Menendez about how we show ourselves at work. And we want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Joanne in Plymouth, Aaron in Detroit, Anthony downtown. We will get to all of you next. Join them if you want to also join the conversation or go to Facebook and Twitter and participate in the conversation there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks very much for tuning in. My guest is Alicia Menendez. She is an MSNBC anchor, host of the Latina to Latina podcast, and the author of a new book called The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. We're talking about how we succeed at work, sometimes by masking who we really are, the ways in which we hide parts of ourselves from our co-workers and our bosses for fear of negative consequences, fear that they won't like us, but more importantly, fear that we could have negative job consequences unfold because of 
who we are. Uh, this is particularly poignant, of course, with women and uh, people of color who often find themselves in the minority in their workplaces. Uh, we want to hear from you about your experiences with this. If you're a woman, if you're a person of color, uh, call and tell us how you navigate these kinds of barriers uh, in your world and in your workplace. Also call and tell us if you don't feel like you have to do that. If somehow you are in a workplace where it's okay to be yourself and you don't feel like there will be negative consequences as a result. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter, of course, to join the conversation. Let's go to Joanne in Plymouth. Joanne, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. Oh, I really agree with what she is saying about authenticism. And I think that, you know, people really, women especially, need to know how to kind of laugh at themselves and I think, and take themselves less seriously than they do. I mean, I, when I was a manager at Henry Ford Hospital, mm-hmm. um, I, I loved my staff. Anyway, I used to like to sit with the clerks in their little cubicle, and they used to, I would, that would annoy them. So one day they put caution tape across the entrance to the um, to their cubicle, and I came up and I looked incensed, and then we just broke out into laughter and laughed ourselves silly. And that was just, you know, because it was so funny that they, they you know, made a subtle remark that I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> and so we laughed about that. And the job I'm in now, people are a little bit stiffer, and so um, and they're more serious. So one, at one of the staff meetings, um, I played an exercise tape by these uh, Go Noodle, two, these two guys on Go Noodle called Popsico. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it is the funniest thing with this hot dog coming out and dancing and stuff. Well, the whole staff did this little dance, and I had some people on the stage with me helping me out. It was the funniest thing you ever did. We all laughed at ourselves, all 70 people, Hmm. and people told me afterwards it was the best staff meeting they ever went to. It's because we were laughing at ourselves, and I thought that that makes life really very palatable. Uh, Joanne, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Uh, Alicia Menendez, uh, respond to what Joanne is saying there. Is is this, in some instances, just a need to, to lighten up? to not take things so seriously. Now, that's something we hear said to women and to people of color all the time. Uh, But in Joanne's case, I mean, she's talking about some fairly innocuous things that go on in the workplace. And I'm very happy for her that she is in in a workplace where she feels aligned with the culture and feels like she can be herself and feels like she can be silly. I spoke with a lot of people who who don't feel that way and aren't in that position. And I, I think the idea is to get to a place where people are in offices and in industries where they feel as though they can take those risks and they can be themselves. So Google did this study. They looked at all their top performing teams and tried to assess what the common denominators were among those teams. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was this idea of psychological safety. That on the teams where people felt like they were trusted and seen, they felt more empowered to take risks. And risks can come in the form of, you know, wonky work stuff like algorithms or trying out a new idea. And sometimes risks is putting on a YouTube video that you think will be funny and that other people can laugh at, but that really takes a sense of the group knowing each other well mm-hmm. and seeing and understanding each other. And that type of connectivity requires real 
energy and effort to build. And it also importantly requires a mandate from the top, right? The leadership of an organization has to be bought into this idea in order for it to work. Hmm. Uh, AK on Twitter says something that's relevant to this point. Testing the boundaries of what's socially acceptable at the office has varying consequences based on gender, race, and many other intersecting factors. Quote, edgy humor isn't just harmless fun. It's an assertion of privilege. Uh, AK, thanks very much mm-hmm. for that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. Fascinating topic. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, well, maybe if you're the owner of a company, but even thinking about that, no one, I think, can really fully be just themselves. And on a job, it's it's kind of, you know, you're paid to be a certain person. Yep. You were hired to be somebody, so it's a stretch to think that you could just pour <laughs> other just be parts yourself, yourself right. into that job. It's, yeah. That's inappropriate, but what I was really thinking about is how uh, whether it's work or not, you know, there's so many unspoken things, uh, courtesies and, and, and just not wanting to make people uncomfortable. Uh, race is always an issue where people are on eggshells. You want to be careful because you don't want people to stop thinking of you a certain way or feel uncomfortable around you because of some views you might have or some feelings you might have. So, you know, even though it's not enough to, to, to make you want to create a problem, you don't want to say things because it's only going to create problems going forward. Uh, and so it's it's really uh, it's it's hard to just fully be yourself except when you're at home with your family. Hmm. Uh, Aaron, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Alicia Menendez, one of the things I think is important to distinguish here is uh, that that we're talking about particular kinds of difficulty being yourself at work. There's no question that everybody who goes to work and works for somebody else is asked to to uh, perhaps hide or at least not sort of flaunt the, some of the things that, that are true about themselves. But I guess what we're sort of focusing on here is is those particular things that make it hard for right. people because of who they are or because of the group that they belong to Correct. Uh, to show everything about who they are. Right. I mean, there there's one thing, which is appropriateness, right? Like my favorite thing to wear in the world is a pair of sweatpants. There's no corporate office in America that's going to invite <laughs> me to roll in in a pair of sweatpants. That's, that's not about bringing my whole self to work. What I'm talking about is really being able to communicate and to, to be, to communicate the way that you communicate and the way that you are. And, and part of that is being open to the possibility that you may need to make some adjustments in order to be a more effective leader. I'm not suggesting that that's not possible, but, but I think very often women get this feedback that focuses on their style without connecting it to their outcome or results. So here's a very specific thing that a person can do that I, that I find very helpful, which is if I am in a feedback session and someone says to me, Alicia, you're just too assertive, mm-hmm. that I might ask, compared to whom? And that that gives the person who's giving me the feedback the opportunity to consider whether or not they would give that feedback to someone else in the office, more specifically whether or not they'd give it to a man in the office. And then the next part, this is advice that comes from an executive coach named Katerina Costula. You ask, can you draw a line for me from how my style impacts the results of my work? 
And now in doing that, you have to be open to the possibility that the person will be able to draw that line for you, that they'll be able to say, you know, Alicia, I know you pride yourself on being deliberate, but sometimes that manifests as indecision and that results in you getting things to clients in a not timely fashion. And that's the thing we need to remedy. Hmm. Okay. I know then what to do about that. If you just call me indecisive, I'm not entirely sure where to go from there. And I'm not sure if that's an actual truth or if that's simply your perception of me. So I think those two pieces of feedback are really helpful. I think they're also helpful when we do them for other people, right? That if I'm in an office and I hear someone call you angry, that I ask, what do you mean by that? Would you say that about somebody else? Um, Even words that can seem really innocuous, perhaps even compliments like helpful when applied to women, very often limit them to a helper role. So if you say, oh, Alicia is really helpful, you don't know if Alicia got the coffee or if she crunched all of the numbers for the Q3 report. Hmm. So be specific. She helped in this way, right? This is what she contributed. This is her contribution. That helps us value the employee much more than descriptively calling her helpful. Hmm. Uh, again, Aaron, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Linda in Dearborn. Linda, what's on your mind? Hi, I feel like I, I'm just, I just have a quick question. I feel like this conversation is very kind of individual, puts the onus on the individual. So I'm, I'm really wondering what, um, what role culture plays and like leadership setting that culture, but even cultures that might exist even without leadership realizing that they exist and like how just kind of what the role is beyond one-on-one interpersonal um, conversations and interactions. Hmm. Great question, Linda. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That's really important. (laughs) And that is one of the things, and so thank you for broadening us out because I definitely don't want to limit this conversation to individuals. I feel like the general sort of um, feedback that women have been given is two paths to navigate around the likability trap. One is to either lean in, do some gender correcting performance. The other is to just let it go and not care. And I'm not entirely sure that either is feasible or advisable. Um, organizationally, I think you're looking at looking at the mechanisms by which people give and receive feedback. So more frequent feedback sessions, feedback sessions where there is a 360 perspective so that you have um, more people, more than one person giving input, provided that all of those people work directly with the employee. Um, I think an organizational impetus for sponsorship, which is different than mentorship. Mentorship is about giving advice. Sponsorship is about really going to the mat for people, connecting them with opportunities. And as it relates to the question of likability, providing them cover such that they feel that they can take bigger risks and that someone else will help them navigate these questions of style and leadership. So absolutely, this has to be organizational. Absolutely, the buy-in has to come from the very top of the organization. What I will say, though, to Linda, is that every time I'm in a room with women and I talk about this shift away from individual onus to organizational onus, it feels like the entire room sort of nods their head yes and is with me. And then inevitably, the first question I get is from a woman who wants to know what she as an individual can Can do. do, (laughs) Yes, that is how we have framed empowerment, Stephen. So, I understand, I both want to shift away, I want this to be a conversation about culture and society and organization, and at the same time, I understand that you have lots of listeners who are driving or 
or on public transportation on their way to work and wondering how they actually implement all of this in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, we come back to sort of what individuals can do to begin to push that cultural shift. Okay, Alicia Menendez, MSNBC anchor, host of Latina to Latina podcast and author of the book, The Likeability Trap. It was really, really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Yeah. All right. Up next, we're going to sit down with Central Michigan University's new president, Bob Davies, to talk about what's going on at that university and its new enhanced commitment to a presence here in the city of Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.